Are you one of those people who get at least one phone call a year from someone asking you to come and work for them? We all probably know and probably envy people who regularly get poached from their current role by another employer. What these people are doing is reaping the reward for their ongoing career mastering. Now I know that's a strong word, but that's what they're doing. Perhaps without even realizing it, they behave as if they're a business. And in career terms, it's called me limited. When I commissioned my company logo a few years ago, I hesitated a bit because I was worried it was a little bit corny. But I stuck with it and I love it because it absolutely represents what me limited is all about. If you can master all of its elements, you soar. Hence the logo. Most of us understand that there is no automatic job security anymore, even in the government sector. Our struggle is knowing what to do about it. So how can we or how can you sleep securely at night, safe in the knowledge that no matter what happens to your current employment, you'll be okay? My definition is one phone call a year. And today I'm going to talk you through how to have that happen to you once a year, every year. Welcome to Career Chinwags for the 21st Century. I'm taking a break from my coronavirus series, and for the next little while, I'm going to jump around all over the place to talk about any career issue that takes my fancy. In today's episode, I'm aiming to introduce you to the concept of Me Limited so that you can take charge of your own career and sleep tight every night. Now, there are two parts to the equation, or the old-fashioned Venn diagram, if you can remember your primary school mathematics. And the sweet spot goes to those people who master both sides of the diagram. The first side really revolves around you excelling in the workplace. Employers aren't stupid. They're not going to try and poach you from another employer if you're not good at what you do. So let's have a look at that. Most experts would say that about 15% of the value that we bring to an organisation relates to our hard skills. Let's call it the IQ part of work. And I want to quickly cover off on what's needed here because this is really the easy bit. There are four things I want to look at. And the first one is pretty obvious, which is to do your job properly. After all, we are usually engaged to perform a specific technical function. List the top 10 requirements to do your job properly. Identify any gaps and then plan how you're going to fill those gaps, whether it's on-the-job training or a bit of study, or perhaps working with somebody to change your approach. Point number two, meet the expectations of your marketplace when it comes to your qualifications. There's two reasons to study. One is that you learn and you grow and you develop. And the other is what I call shutting up the marketplace. And what you do when you study in this instance is you say to the marketplace, I've got the qualification, let's move on. I can always remember a friend of mine who was thrown into a senior PR and comms role with no formal qualifications. You can just imagine how busy she was. And yet she was asked by her employer to do a master's and she would work long hours during the day and then finish her master's at night. And I don't know how she did it. I often meet people who lose their jobs in their 40s, and they may be somebody who was actually really good at their job, and so they rose up through the ranks, and they didn't get formal qualifications. 
The problem is that the employer then, the, the future employer, looks at them and, and says, well, why don't you have a qualification? They ask themselves, is it because this person is lazy? So it's a very dangerous strategy for you to rely on a track record of success without also getting the formal piece of paper. Point number three is to broaden your skills. I think we all know that organizations are trying to do more with less, so versatile employees are often more valued. It's a good idea to learn skills in the opposite area. So if you're a numbers person, improve your skills in writing or grammar. And I can't tell you the number of marketing and HR people who seem to pride themselves on not understanding a P&L statement, and really it's a bit of a worry. The fourth element in this technical area is to strengthen your technology skills. Make sure that you don't rule yourself out of a role by having weak IT skills. Whatever your industry software is, move up the skills ladder. So if it's Excel, for example, move from being a basic or an intermediate Excel user to an advanced user. But as I said, that's the easy stuff. Still on the left-hand side of this diagram, of our Venn diagram, EQ rules the modern workplace, and it's the other 85% of the value that we bring. We're talking about emotional intelligence here, not IQ. Most of us, I think, unconsciously or consciously assess each other's value at work based on these so-called soft skills, which I actually think are the hard skills. When somebody walks along a corridor towards you, you don't say, Wow, her word skills are outstanding. She's just great to work with. It's not what forms the basis of our opinion of other people at work. So let's examine these so-called EQ skills. And because these are important, I've got many more issues really to consider and some tips. Develop your soft skills and a starting point is to attend face-to-face training, which seems to have gone out of fashion lately. So I want to give you a quick quiz. If we were looking at advanced customer service, for example, Do you know how to say no without actually having the word no leave your lips? Conflict resolution. Do you know what an I statement is and can you get one out of your mouth? And finally, little quick one, time management. What do you think the key advice is given to people in relation to emails these days? Other areas to look at if you're a manager is delegation. I think teamwork is really important. And again, if you're a manager, how to have difficult conversations with your staff. Then, of course, you need to put it into practice. What I would do in my husband's company when I was his unqualified HR manager is I would run a training session, for example, on dealing with difficult customers. And then I would do a top up. So every six weeks or so, I'd pop into a staff meeting. We'd take 15 minutes and we'd go back over drilling of how do you get those words out of your mouth. So I think you need to actually practice. The next element to look at in this soft skills area is to change your concept of your boss and your fellow workers to incorporate the idea that they are your customers. I can always remember working with a government employee and I said to him, he wasn't happy at work, I said, are you prepared to treat your boss as a customer? And he immediately said, no. My take on that is, if that's the case, you should leave. Of course, there's sometimes going to be a little bit of disconnect between you and your boss and you and your fellow workers. I'm not talking about that. But if there's a fundamental difference between how they view the world and how you view the world, I think really it's better for you to move on. 
The next element is to change again your mindset to become a problem solver, not a problem finder. Now, those who are close to me in my life would agree with me when I say I'm quite a critical person. I notice things. But when I notice things, I switch to problem solver. I look at how is it that I can solve that problem. I would recommend that. The next element I must say I find very difficult. It's very difficult to even explain what the difference is. But the advice is to be politically savvy, not political. I think this is such a difficult area that it's worth you consulting somebody outside of your organization to get help with this area. And finally, accept change or move on. Change in itself is neither right nor wrong. And I use the example, or I always think of the example of 1930s Germany when the Nazi party was rising to power. If you didn't agree with what the Nazi party was doing, it didn't make you bad or stupid. So the change is not necessarily good or bad, but I think if you can't accept it, you should move on. Because if you stay, you'll get the impression of being a laggard, a change laggard, and it's really damaging to your reputation. And of course, it's really damaging to your happiness. Okay, so that's actually the easy part of the equation. And many people I meet when they've lost their jobs, they've mastered that part. That in itself is not enough. What's the point of being good if nobody knows you exist. Just think about your organization. I'm sure they've got a marketing plan. Think about how detailed it is. Think about how well thought out it is. So just as your organization has a marketing plan, you need to develop your own career marketing plan. And again, like the left side of the Venn diagram, this right side is made up of separate elements. And the first thing is to have a persuasive career marketing kit. It's pretty hard to market yourself successfully without one. And in career terms, we're talking about three specific areas. You need outstanding written material. So we're talking about a resume, a wonderful resume. You also need to think about your LinkedIn profile. Now, there's plenty of blogs out there that will give you great advice on how to set up a good LinkedIn profile. Make sure you start with an appealing professional photo. That is your number one important area. I also don't want you to forget cover letters. Some people say, well, I don't read cover letters, so I don't bother with them. Now, again, that's a really dangerous strategy. You've got no idea whether the person who receives your application cares about cover letters or not. Most people who were trying to cover off all bases would then look and make sure that their cover letter was great. The second element is to have really good interview skills, and it's a bit of a chicken and egg. So, of course, the resume is important because it will get you to the interview, but then there's no point having a good resume or a good cover letter if you don't do well in an interview. You know, I've probably worked with a couple of thousand people by now, and I can only remember one or two who really didn't need any professional help. And of course, the more senior you are, the harder it becomes. You're more likely to face somebody else who has the gift of the gab and who's a natural at interviews. Again, it's a pity if you miss out because you haven't bothered to improve your interview skills. It's also worth thinking about public speaking skills. I did a wonderful course on public speaking a few years ago. I've never forgotten it. If you can, go and do one. And it should be a two-day course and it should be with a very small group, five or six people. And of course, they should be filming you and critiquing you. Now, you might think, well, why would I bother? I'm never going to speak in public. What they'll do in a good course is they'll break it down and get you to think about speaking in a boardroom or speaking at a meeting. 
and we all do that. So learn how to persuade your listeners, whether it is in the boardroom or whether it is on a podium. If you're an executive, the marketing kit I've spoken about is so essential, it is worth you paying a professional to ensure that you excel in all elements of it. Once again, that's pretty easy, that part, so let's look at harder, more challenging areas. The next element you need to think about is to connect with key influencers. And the first step here is to broaden your contacts within your own organisation. Have a deliberate policy of trying to meet people outside of your technical field so that you become better known within your organization. Then, if your organization's big enough, look for an internal mentor. Their role is the wise person, but it's also somebody who challenges you. It's not a matter of having a coffee and thinking you're going to absorb their wisdom through osmosis. They should be setting you specific tasks back in the workplace, which you should be debriefing at the subsequent meetings. Finally, implement a systematic and ongoing program of keeping up with your current external contacts and a program to meet new contacts. Do you really think I want to get up and go to a breakfast that starts at 7 o'clock in the morning? Do you think I want to stay after work for a networking session? No, I can tell you I do not. Do I do it? Yes. And the last element for us to look at is to gain expert status. These days, LinkedIn is the easiest way for you to get a solid reputation. And I call it being viewed as good value. Someone who adds to the body of knowledge in his or her profession and who also sounds like a nice, sensible person. The joy of LinkedIn is you don't have to go to one of those networking functions or breakfasts. You can just do it from the privacy of your own office. It's perfect for introverts. I just think it's the most wonderful, effective self-marketing. When you're posting, I think your choice is either technical information in your field or general management content. But unless your general management content is really cutting edge and really differentiates yourself from everybody else, I'd recommend you stick to technical content. The best place to find it is Twitter. You can set up a list even if you don't post yourself. But if you can't be bothered with that, just Google. The final piece of the puzzle is to actually put your plan into action. Here, just pick up on the standard advice on how to stick to your strategy. So make sure your KPIs are smart, as in measurable, etc. And also give yourself a reward. You know how to do it. When I started working for myself, I had been used to reporting quarterly against very strict KPIs. And what I did is I just continued the same process. And I gave myself a reward. And for me, it was freshly squeezed orange juice. Um, It doesn't have to be a high monetary value. What I also did is for the first three or four times, I gave myself really easy KPIs because I wanted to look back and say, well, I did do that and I did do that because then I knew it would be easier for me to continue along the same path and I recommend the same thing for you. In the best sense and in the best way of the world, managing your career is a partnership between you and your organisation. But what happens if they don't play their part? Don't fall into the trap of being too busy for all of this. Devoting yourself to your workplace to the exclusion of your own career will not save you if your organization decides it doesn't want you anymore. Me Limited implies what I would call a certain level of good ruthlessness. It's where you ensure that you look after your career without relying on your employer to do it. Both sides of the career mastery equation are vital. So get started sooner rather than later. 
And when you adopt Me Limited as an integral part of your professional life, you'll be able to sleep at night, at least when it comes to job security. Now, I still haven't done many podcasts and I don't have many reviews yet and only a few subscribers. So if you like what you've heard, I'd love it if you could share this podcast or leave a review. At this stage, I'm still doing a podcast every fortnight. And next episode, I'm going to talk about how older workers can make sure they're not shut out of the job market. Remember, if you want to review what we've talked about, check out the full show notes at careerconsult.com.au. There you can find a full article on the topic, an infographic, a video, and it will summarize the various elements I've covered. I'll repeat that, careerconsult.com.au. And I do a fortnightly mail out. It consists of blogs, videos, infographics. So if you're interested, you'll find a sign-up form on the website. Let's finish with the hashtag. Hashtag, why not be happy at work?